focus on increased capacity, not reduced challenges. How can this improve your health at midlife? Stay tuned for my guest today. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to her brilliant health radio, where holistic women's health expert and board certified OBGYN, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Lean in and get ready to experience the bountiful, blissful, and beautiful vitality that you deserve. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Her Brilliant Health Revolution. Super excited for you to meet my guest today. He is going to help you understand the importance of gut health. I know a lot of you are probably thinking, I don't have a problem with my gut, but you need to stay tuned and listen because all disease begins in the gut. In fact, Louis Pasteur is quoted as saying, death begins in the colon. So whether you think you have a gut problem or not, this is another episode for you to wake up to the reality of what's keeping you stuck with your weight, with your energy, with your sex drive, with your hair, with your mind and your mood. Everything that's blocking you with your health comes from the same root causes. And today we're tackling gut health. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my guest today and we'll get started. Stephen Wright is a gut health specialist and the founder of HealthyGut.com. After spending close to $400,000 to overcome his own health challenges, he trained at the Kalish Functional Medicine Institute and he is passionate about sharing his knowledge about the importance of gut health to overall health with you. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited. My favorite guests are the people who struggled in mainstream medical system with getting no answers and had to figure this out for themselves. Some of them are people like you and others are physicians. And so when the light bulb comes on, I think that your journey speaks volumes to people listening to the podcast who are struggling with the same types of issues. So let's start with your journey. What was going on for you with your health? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm maybe unique or maybe not unique. You know, I think back when I was seeing clients, I, I, I sort of bucketed people between like from birth people who seemed to just be challenged their whole life with health. And then other people who had like this moment in this sort of trigger moment. And so I'm a from, from birther. I was born with a hydrocele hernia and my intestines were pinched and I almost didn't make it modern medicine pharmaceuticals that, that really relaxed my intestines and saved my life. Now I didn't really learn that how intertwined life is until later on I was, you know, running a digestive health company after basically it got to the point where I was having bloating so bad that I would cry after every meal. So like I could eat a salad and chicken, I could eat a burger and beer. And I was like in my dream job in Chicago working, consulting for Fortune 100 companies. I like made it out of my small town and I was so proud to be there. And I would eat and like literally all you want to do when you have visceral hypersensitivity or really bad bloating pain is you just want to fart, right? That's like your only option to get rid of the pain. And so I would do that and my coworkers didn't appreciate it, which I totally understand as well. And so I was uh, called into my boss's office and he basically said, if, if you don't fix this, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to go. And wait, so, wait, wait. So your boss called you in and said that your gas problem 
had to be fixed or you were going to get fired. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so That's I had, pretty radical. Okay. I had lots of IBS issues, but I came from a family history of IBS. And so I didn't know that that was abnormal. I didn't really know about the Bristol stool chart. I didn't know that there was an optimal way for the human body to function. I mean, I started life with some compromised gut stuff, had four years of antibiotics for acne and things like that. So I, you know, there was a lot of factors. At that point, you could classify me as alternating IBS. So I'd have weeks of constipation, then I would have just intense nights of, of diarrhea like 16 times and just, you know, have to cancel dates and just be crying and stuck on the toilet. And so I'm from the Midwest. And so I was like, I'm a man and I can not, you know, feel my feelings and I will push through this. And then mm. that sort of moment kind of broke me in that I was like, I have to handle this. And so I tried to seek out several doctors in Chicago, some of the best people that I could get a hold of. And after three different experiences where they all, they basically tested me for celiac. They're like, you don't have celiac. And this is back in 2008, 2009. So celiac awareness and gluten sensitivity is not quite where it is today. And they would do things like, you're not eating enough whole grains. You should take this Metamucil. I'm going to prescribe that for you. And uh, here's some here's more antibiotics, which at that point I had already gone to the hospital once due to a total bifidobacter overgrowth. So I got, I like passed out at work and was like super sick because I had taken antibiotics so much for my acne. And so I was very anti-antibiotics at that point. I'm like a lot of people, I became very angry. My anger turned into action and that action turned into results over time. And I was like, hey, I went to school for engineering, electrical engineering. I was basically just drilled into how do we solve problems in complex systems that we don't understand. And so I can figure this out because there has to be someone out there. Somebody else has suffered like me. And if I could just find that person and understand what they did and try to replicate it, I'm sure most of it or part of it will work for me. And so that became my quest for the last uh, 12 years and you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It started with dietary modifications, which almost reduced the gas to, I would say, like 70% in a week, you know, basically going on a specific carbohydrate diet, which is a, you know, now we'd probably call that the, a version of a paleo autoimmune or a GAPS diet. Any of these diets are, are very similar if you start very slowly. At that point, it was like, why do I still have acne? Why do I still have weight gain? How come I'm having panic attacks? Why do I have these big depressive bouts, usually once a year? I'm just one of those people who can't let the thread go. And I just got to go down the rabbit hole and try to unravel it and then hopefully report back to the world like, like what we're doing right now. Yes. What an, a journey. I know there are a lot of people listening right now who can relate to the gas situation. I can relate to it because when you said that, I was like, wow, I remember even one time going on spring break in college with my girlfriends to Florida and having the worst gas ever. And I thought I was going to die. So, you know, you guys can it's more socially acceptable for you to let it out. It's even considered funny. But right. for women like to let gas out and fart? No, you don't do that. So I learned at a very young age that it was not socially acceptable, but I always had gut problems. And so I remember being on that plane thinking, oh my God, I, I'm going to die in this plane because I couldn't let it out. So there are people listening who also are have that problem. So I want you to know that you're not alone listening if this is a problem that you're having. And so what did you learn on your journey 
about what the gas meant. Why did you have so much of it and what what was happening? It's a complicated topic like you've explored on on this show several times, but to start with a very simple understanding of it is most of the time gas, I mean we all make gas. Every human's makes like a kind of like a small amount of gas. It's when we go above that normal amount that you begin to think about like where does gas come from? And I think the funniest and easiest way to remember it is like gas is basically like some sort of micro micro basically it's it's their farts you know they're yeah. eat <laughs> you know like this is so true when you put it like it's bug farts it is right yeah really i mean it's extra bug farts and so well how do we get extra bug farts well we might have too many bugs we might have the wrong mixture of bugs and apparently they're eating all of the food that you're eating and you're not getting that food into your body. And so those are kind of the variables I think of when it comes to to bloating and gas and you know obviously it can happen we can go deeper into each one of those categories if we want, but that's kind of how I think about it is are the bugs in the right spots? Do we have the right mixture of bugs and they're feeding on our food? How do we either change the food that we're feeding them or get rid of them so we can actually get the nutrients from our food. So one problem is you got the wrong bugs. They make the stinky gas, the wrong bugs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other problem is what are you feeding those bugs? And that's what you're feeding yourself. So you talked about the dietary changes. You went through some of the alphabet diets, SCD, GAPS, paleo, autoimmune. Some people are getting dietary whiplash just hearing <laughs> you. And they're like, the what diet? The what diet? And now they're on Google looking it up. What's the SCD? Maybe that's the answer for me. What's the GAPS? Maybe that's the answer. What's a paleo autoimmune? But like you said, it helps something, these help some things, but not all. Can you just mention briefly kind of about what those diets are, just so everyone knows? Yeah. So, and like the new sort of in vogue diets are, are like the FODMAP diet, but essentially all four of those diets, what they're, they're cutting out certain inflammatory foods like processed sugars and seed oils and extremely processed ingredients that I think you've talked about enough on the show. But the interesting thing about these digestive diets is they're modifying the type and amount of carbohydrates that you're bringing into the body. That's the real key that I want people to take away from the show is if you're having bloating, if you're having gas, even heartburn, many of the symptoms, I mean, constipation, diarrhea are totally lumped in here as well. Many times it's starting with a, a inability to metabolize, isn't maybe the right word, but basically break down and absorb carbohydrates you're eating. Mm-hmm. And so the majority of those diets are reducing what you're eating down to you know, meats, fruits, and vegetables, and then some other things beyond that. But even inside of that, there's probably listeners listening right now that are like, I'm already on one of these diets. I've already tried this. It didn't work. Elimination mm-hmm. diets, things like that. And the interesting thing about the specific carbohydrate, the GAPS, and the FODMAP diet is they're looking at the, the, the actual molecule of the carbohydrate. And they're saying, do you have the capacity to break up the bonds in the carbohydrate and absorb it? Or are you malabsorbing it and therefore you're almost like dumping sugar on the floor in your kitchen and you're saying, why are the ants all here? I, I'm, right. Where are the ants coming from? You know? <laughs> That's a great analogy. That's perfect. And, you know, even though we have touched on these topics many times in the podcast, when people don't come from a medical background and they haven't spent $400,000 on their health, 
these are still new concepts. And what I find is that the more people they can hear this information from and with the more detail and the different perspectives, that's when it really starts taking root and they start really getting it. So hopefully you listeners are getting, you guys are getting what Stephen's saying about the ants and the sugar. So these diets are modifying your carbs, so your sugars, and then also the inflammatory nature of the foods. But like I heard in your story, you altered your diet and that helped a little bit, but but it wasn't the whole answer. So I want everyone to hear that too, because it's never one thing. I know everyone's out there on the internet looking for the one Thing. What's the one supplement I have to take? What's the one diet I have to follow? And what I want you to hear from his story, which is my story, which is every client I've ever worked with story, it's never one thing. So if you really want to get better, you've got to look further. And you also mentioned about these years and years of antibiotics that you had. And so what did you learn about what that did to your healthy bugs in your gut? Yeah, well, antibiotics are kind of like how they used to bomb in World War II. So in World War II, the airplanes weren't that advanced and they just bombed the entire town. They're like, we don't like you, so we're just going to blow up everything. And antibiotics kind of do the same thing to the microbiome. They're not discriminate. They're not sort of like hunting down certain classes or certain quote unquote bad guys in your gut. They're just sort of bombing everything in the gut. And if you do that, even once the studies show that you create a temporary dysbiotic nature. And by that, I mean dysbiotic, I mean reduction in what are classified as healthy bugs and an increase in what are classified as potentially inflammatory or pathogenic bugs. And so if you do that long enough, like if you have just, just have a UTI, you know, once every five years, or if you have a surgery, you know, that's not a big deal. I'm not saying antibiotics as a medical option are a bad thing. I think it's the usage and the duration And in my case, this was a terrible way to deal with acne. I think that should be a malpractice lawsuit for the dermatology groups is is treating acne with antibiotics. That is just not, we know now enough to say that that's terrible. My gut was completely basically erased of certain classes of good bugs and opportunity opportunistic bugs were overgrowing. And even certain classes of healthy bugs like bifidobacter in my case were like taken over. And so the point is that the microbiome and our bugs are an ecosystem. Nothing, like if you remember back to like seventh grade or whenever you had like life sciences and you looked at those domes and there was like an interplay between the water and the, the clouds and the frogs and the fish and the trees and the mammals, you know, the squirrels, like everything relies on the other to stay in balance. And when they're in balance, we have a really healthy nature, we have a healthy ecosystem, the same thing is happening inside of your your gut. And too many squirrels is still really bad for that ecosystem. And so we want to have a balanced ecosystem. And I was just totally, you know, totally messed up in there. Yeah, you know, I love how you describe a lot of these things. It's It really gives a great visual about antibiotics or like the how they used to bomb in World War II. They just kill everything. And, and I tell people that really what's happening in your gut is a war when you've got gas like that and, and crazy irritable bowel and you don't realize, you don't register it as a war, but that's what's happening. And I want to just highlight something else you said. Treating acne with antibiotics should be malpractice. I will second that. The gut really is so 
mistreated, maligned in mainstream medicine. And there are so many symptoms that your symptoms really that's your body telling you something's wrong and it needs attention. So if you've got a lot of gas or irritable bowel, your body's telling you, I don't like the diet you're eating. I don't have enough healthy bacteria. I have too many abnormal bacteria and maybe fungi or parasites. So these are the messages and we totally ignore the messages. And what do we do? We give you medications to shut down your gut, decrease the acid. And we basically tell your gut, shut up and stop telling us what's wrong. So it's like, <laughs> Telling your kids, like, your kids are like, we're hungry, mommy, we're hungry. And you're like, shut up and eat Snickers bars, right? So your kids aren't hungry anymore, but was that the right thing to do for them? No. So same with GERD, right? Gastric reflux disease. It's really a problem of low acid, right? But yeah. what do we do in mainstream medicine? We're going to shut you down, your acid down so much with these PPI inhibitors, and you're not going to have any. Oh, problem solved, no reflux. But then you have no acid to break your food down. And, you know, so it just incenses me about how we really malign the gut and we don't pay attention. And this idea of treating acne with antibiotics is insane. You know, your skin is an accessory detox organ. It only starts trying to get rid of this bacteria, which is cystic acne, when your gut is unhealthy and your liver is unhealthy and your hormones are unbalanced. So instead of, again, listening to the symptoms, the body is telling us acne symptom. And if anyone here is suffering with acne, you want to hear my episode with Dr. Shana about it's not just acne where she goes into this. And you want to really look at what's happening inside. Okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox. <laughs> so let's go back to the gut. So antibiotics, very damaging. So what tests can be done for people? They're listening. They're like, yeah, I know I've got this problem, Stephen. How do they know? Can their regular doctor diagnose them? Probably not. And what tests do they need to get done? Let me tell you right now, if you're experiencing any of the symptoms that we have so far talked about, you have something wrong with your gut. I mean, you know, you don't need your regular doctor who maybe has no access to what I'm about to say to validate that. If you need it for yourself, great, but they're not going to provide much. If you see a functional doctor, functional medicine doctor, integrative doctor who has training in these types of things, that's where you're going to go to get, get your answers. Maybe a naturopath as well, depending on their training. So the things that I think you need to rule out are infections and SIBO. Those are like the top two things that if you don't, if you don't kind of find those and get rid of those, it's going to be really hard. And then after that, you can begin to test you know, is my microbiome imbalance? Where's it at? What might be going on there? So there are various SIBO tests that you can do. There are, you know, the three-hour lactulose test is sort of the gold standard. I know there's now a new test, I think from Trio, that does testing for the various subtypes of SIBO. And that's really cool. Dr. Mark Pimentel is just an amazing man doing crazy amounts of research in California. And you know, he's identified that there's sort of different types of SIBO. Knowing which type you have allows the doctor or practitioner to better tailor your protocols. But beyond that, I think SIBO is typically secondary to either a deeper GI infection and or that ecosystem disruption where you're, you're actually missing the acid, you're missing the enzymes or motility to be able to actually have a healthy gut. 
And so I really like either Doctors Data's Parasitology 3, which is like a three-day stool test. If you have the capacity, it's not required, but if you can run both tests on the same samples with a GI map, I think that's the best thing. There's also Genova Diagnostics makes a great one. But I think the thing is, is if possible, the gold standard, in my opinion, is to run two stool tests on the same samples at the same time, because I've done extensive testing on myself. And when I did see clients back in the day, I've seen over 200 examples of the tests missing certain things. And that's just due to where poop testing is. And it's not as advanced as we would hope at this point. And so certain labs tend to do better with certain types of bugs. And so you can cover more bases if you do two at the same time. And then I think if you run the SIBO, you can rule out the majority of that. If you want to run an um, organic acids test, you can get some understandings of maybe some fungal overgrowth there. But that's, that would be like the you know, credit card is is free and like this is your path and you want to handle this once and for all, that would give you a really clean understanding of exactly what's going on. It's probably also going to run you like a thousand to twelve hundred dollars. So you just got to be you know ready for that. And you invested four hundred thousand dollars in figuring out your health problems and getting it straightened out. The refrain I hear over and over again is doesn't my insurance pay for this? Why doesn't my insurance pay for this? Why can't my regular doctor do this? Why can't I get this for a $30 copay on my insurance? Can you help people understand why this is not something that's that's dealt with by mainstream medicine and going to be paid for by their insurance? Oh, well, that goes back to like the 1910s and 1920s and the A of the uh, the American Medical Association versus the chiropractors and the and the naturopaths and how they won the war and then they bonded up with the insurance companies and now we have the system we have. But here's what I want people to think about. Look at your other types of insurance. Does your homeowner's insurance cover when you need to refinish your floors or put in new carpeting? No, it does not. Does your homeowner's insurance cover cleaning your house or you know repainting it? No, it doesn't. It only covers catastrophic issues to your home. That is how I believe the future of medicine should work, is that we, we know we have a responsibility to our bodies to do the preventative maintenance and take care of ourselves. Unfortunately, we've given our power away to this industrial complex that's been created that I'm sure was good intentions back in the day. But now we are living in a society where it's like we spend more on our cell phones and our Netflix accounts and all that than we do on our monthly supplement bills. And that's just crazy to me because if you read any sort of books on death and dying, if you talk to anybody who's in the, the professions of helping people pass on, if you talk to anyone who is on their deathbed, in general, all they talk about is they wish they had more time, they wish they had more health, they wish that you know, they, they would have done more things. And so I think health should be our number one priority. And personally, I went into debt many times, thousands and thousands of dollars in debt in the beginning to try to figure this out. And I realized that I'm a little weird compared to the mainstream and how we were indoctrinated. But I just got to a point where I had no other options. Like it literally became a obsession because I just felt like if I'm, you know, I was 23 at the time and I'd already had digestive issues for 23 years. And I was just thinking out into the future. And I was like, if I have to do this for another 
50 years, 20 years, 30 years, like this sucks. This is not a way to live. And I do want people to know that, yes, it's an investment, but you're going to pay now or you're going to pay later. And the insurance complex and what has been built here was never designed to fix you. It was basically designed to make sure you, you are well enough to go back to work, if you will. That's more on the chronic side. I do want to say and just say that the, the medical, Western medical system for traumatic injuries and surgeries, like amazing system. And I love that it saved my life. And I'm not talking about that phase of modern medicine. I'm definitely just talking about this digestive, more complex autoimmune type or, or lifestyle type issues or, or right. psychiatric issues. That's, that's a hard field as well. So very well said and glad you got that taken care of because you're probably thinking, I can't keep my job. I'm not going to be able to have a job. But besides that, just how it was interfering with your life. I mean, gut dysfunction will make you miserable and make you want to. I know I've been in places where I thought if this is what I'm going to have to deal with, I just I don't want to do it. I don't want to normalize that. I mean, I had nights where I was curled up in a ball on the bed with stabbing knives in my gut. And if you have had that, you know what it is. If you haven't had it, you can't imagine it until you have it. And I've had many of like, maybe this is not worth it. Like maybe if this is life, maybe this is not worth it. And I just want to normalize that that happens and chronic unwellness or chronic sickness. And it's pretty normal. And there is hope and there are ways out. Yes. Thank you for saying that. We'll be right back after this short message from our sponsor. Hey there, it's Dr. Kieran. I'm just wondering how long you're going to go with those unbalanced hormones. I mean, you told me during the Stop the Menopause Madness Summit that you couldn't take it anymore. So where have you been? Since the summit, Deb M. has already balanced her hormones, gotten to her goal weight, and is looking forward to wearing her bathing suit on the beach this summer. And Carrie, who hadn't been able to lose even five pounds in the past 10 years, has now lost an amazing 15 pounds and is feeling and looking great. Not to mention, she's sleeping better and her mood has improved. Aaron, Ashley, Debsey, and so many more are already enjoying the benefits of having balanced hormones. And I'm wondering if you could use some help finding out your personal hormone levels and knowing exactly what to do to balance your hormones so that you can lose weight, regain energy, balance your moods, feel sexy and confident, look great and master midlife or whatever you want to do. Know that all health begins with balanced hormones. Everything you want in life begins here and nothing good ever comes from tolerating hormone imbalances. We're launching the Hormone Balance Mastermind again this July, so don't wait. Space is limited, and it will be months before we run this program again. Go to www.midlifemetabolisminstitute.com to apply for the program or get on the early bird wait list so that as soon as registration opens, you can be the first to apply and secure your spot. If you've had enough and you want to find out how good life can be once your hormones are balanced, I know I'll see you there. Talk to you soon. And we're back. Chronic unwellness. 
it has been somewhat normalized in our country. And especially for women at midlife, we are told it's normal for our age. Well, you, you can't lose weight. It's normal for your age. I have no sex drive. I don't ever care if I have sex again. It's normal for your age. Mm, I don't know if I'm going to poop for a week or two or if I'm going to have 15 poops in a day. That's normal for your age. We are told this over and over again, and the symptoms that our body is bringing to our attention to be healed, we get shut down. And I will second, we have some, what you said, we have revolutionary advances in medicine. If you have an acute MI, you want to go to the emergency room and see a cardiologist, right? So American medicine is the best for acute care and life-saving care. But when it comes to chronic unwellness, it really does not have answers. And I love your analogy of your house insurance doesn't pay for you to paint your house. It doesn't pay for you to fix the plumbing or re-roof it when there's a leak. It basically is for catastrophe. And so we have to start thinking about our uh, health insurance as the same in the same way and look at investments that we make in our health like the investments we make in our house. So you got tested and you started sorting these things out. When did you realize that enzymes were of vital importance to your gut health? I would say like uh Maybe a year or two into the journey, I was, you know, in 2009, there wasn't amazing podcasts like this. There, there wasn't the, the information on the internet. There was just a lot of books. And, and a, if you could find a really awesome clinician around you that knew, you could get access. So I, I just started with, you know, I, stomach acid. I had a stomach acid issue. You mentioned that earlier. And that helped when I started addressing that with BTN HCL. But then still, like you were mentioning earlier, I was like, I just wanted to work. Like I thought I found my miracle. Like I found my miracle diet and then <laughs> I got, I got better, but then I was dissatisfied and I wanted more gains or, or more relief. And then I found one class of digestive supplements and I had immediate improvements there, but then I normalized and I was like, ah, not there yet. And then I found digestive enzymes and that also started to, to help me. And so, you know, I took them on and off for many years before really researching them or really understanding them. It wasn't until I was in my consulting practice and seeing a lot of people that I realized that there was a lot more to the enzyme story because what I hadn't noticed is that certain times when I took enzymes, I, they were like miracles, like digestive enzymes were like miracles. And then other times I would take them and more times than not, I would say it was like one third there was a miracle and two thirds it was like, like I thought I figured it out. I got my diet, I got my supplements and then bam, ah, I'm back to like loose stools or constipation or bloating. And then I would go into these downward spirals. I call them Google death spirals where you're like, why is this happening in bed? And <laughs> you know, you, you start with- Google death spiral. Yeah, because you always end up at cancer. It's always the all the end of the Google death spiral is Healthline or WebMD, and you have cancer, and you're like, ah. Yes, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yes, so you were seeing that sometimes they really helped, and other times they didn't. And then what happened? I wanted to figure this out. At that point, I kind of wrote them off. In your training, as well as my training, and most people's training in integrative or functional medicine, doesn't matter what school, they talk about these basic level supplements that these like standard level supplements and, and enzymes, digestive enzymes are, are normally right at the top of the list for digestive help. 
And they just kind of like fly through it in school and they don't really, in my opinion, really touch on the nuance of it. And in practice, they were so unreliable. And in my own testing, they were so unreliable that I kind of wrote them off. Like it must be about probiotics. It must be about prebiotics. It's got to be something else. It must be about the infections. And so I kind of just was like, well, they're not that, you know, they're helpful, but they're not that helpful. There's more to this gut story. And it wasn't until about two or three years ago that I circled back to it because I had some major life events and some major stressors, even pre-pandemic, that basically flared me way back up. And I was like, oh no, I need all my support supplements. And I brought out my enzymes and I started testing again. And I was just, I was super frustrated. I was like, why aren't these working? They should work. And so mm-hmm. that's when I kind of dove into all the textbooks I could find, all the books published and the papers that I could find. The issue and uh, the, the answer was yes, digestive enzymes are critical. They're actually very critical to that carbon um, issue we talked about earlier. If you don't have your pancreatic enzymes or your brush border enzymes working correctly, you're not going to break apart those various carbohydrate structures in what are considered amazing foods like broccoli or kale or even sweet potatoes or whatever you think are like considered like almost universal health foods, if you have an enzyme insufficiency, those foods become toxic because they're just going to feed that dysbiotic bad bugs. And so it's not about what we eat. Everyone wants to focus on what's your diet, how clean is it, how organic is it. That's important. That's totally important. But what I want the world to know is it's not about what you eat. It's about what you can actually break down and absorb because anything you can't is actually harming you, even though it's a health food and it's universally accepted as that. Right. And as you're saying that, I'm having this vision of it's like it's not about how much you can earn at work, but if you put it in a bank account that you can't withdraw from, then that money does you no good. So it's kind of the same thing, right? It's like, yes, the what you eat is important. It should be clean food, organic food. But if you can't break it down, it's like having money in the bank that you can't withdraw. And that's a problem. And in addition, those foods can cause a problem. And why do we have such a rampant problem with our digestive enzyme levels being low? So first I would ask you, how did you know that? Because that's what people are thinking right now. What I wonder if I have this. How do I know if I have this? How did you know? So I took a little journey off from, from science and from diet and, and interventions and functional medicine. And I went on a I got very disillusioned with it. I was like, the answers aren't here. They didn't fix me completely. And I went on a whole walkabout into mental health and trauma and emotional health. And we can circle back to that maybe later. But I was coming out of that disillusioned with both camps and suffering. And so I just returned back to what I, you know, what are commonly called first principles, which is basically like, what is the foundation or what's the basics that need to be working in order for this to happen correctly? And so if you're having bloating, if you're having gas, heartburn, you know, any sort of IBS related issues, there's an extremely high likelihood that your, your digestive enzymes are not working correctly. Your brush border enzymes are not working correctly. Why? Because if they can't snip the really complex food molecules that you, you know, if you think about a walnut, it starts like this, and then we crunch it down into little pieces like that. And then we have to break those pieces open and, and actually absorb nutrients out of that. Well, the last step there are these enzymes that are like cutting the bonds up into small little chunks. If you don't do that step, you're going to see the food in the toilet. 
you're going to feel it when the other bugs eat it. I would basically say that if you're having digestive upset, you have an enzyme issue. Like, I don't know how it could not be true, actually. And physiologically, it's true. We start decreasing our level of pancreatic digestive enzymes at the age of 30 for everyone that happens. And if you have health problems, it's at a faster rate. And by the time we're 70, right, Stephen, 100% of people have zero digestive enzymes. So it's kind of like a programmed problem, but not to mention that you mentioned trauma and that gets into the vagus nerve. And I talk about that all the time. And the vagus nerve is what controls your pancreatic exo and endocrine function, part more of the exocrine. So that's the digestive enzymes. And so if you've got stress in your life, right? Do you, who has stress in their life these days? <laughs> Nobody. Come if on. you have stress, then guess what? Your vagus nerve is struggling. And guess what? You're not making enough digestive enzymes. So that beautiful, delicious, organic spinach salad with strawberries and pecans and red onions that you ate is not being broken down and it's not feeding you, it's feeding your bugs in your gut. And that's why they're acting up and that's why you have crazy digestion and it's why you have gas. And I loved how you described, I mean, I hate that you went through this, but I've been there too, curled up in a fetal position, feeling like knives in my stomach and it's a horrible place to be. And I, I just wanted to mention too, for everybody listening, the, the GI map and a lot of these other tests will let you know your level of digestive enzymes. So it is something you can test. And it really is, you know, it's like your gut, it's kind of like if you go to Detroit in the auto factory and they make cars, right? So they start with the frame and then they have to put on the doors and they have to put all this on the chassis and they have to put the wheels on, right? So it's a conveyor belt. Well, if they don't put the chassis on right and they don't put the frame on right and they don't start with the foundation right, by the time they go to put the rear view mirror, there's gonna be a problem, it's not gonna fit. And the same is true with your digestion. Everything has to happen in the right sequence at the right time, including with what I call food foreplay. Yes, there's foreplay for your food. You have to have the proper set and setting for eating, like be in a calm state of mind, be sitting down, have your vagus nerve tuned up and your parasympathetic tuned up and your sympathetic dialed down so that you make the proper gastric acid and digestive juices so that that's like the chassis on your car. It's like the frame on your car so that as the things move down into the small intestine, they can be broken down completely and you can actually absorb the nutrients. And then your bugs don't have anything to eat so they can't make stinky gas. So I just want to make sure that everyone has this overview. So what steps would you suggest that people take after listening to this? They're like, I got a gut problem. Stephen, where do I start? I guess you start with doing what you said, which is is sort of shifting your values a little bit to deciding to to get to the the issues with your gut. Like if if going back to your car analogy, which I love, like we want what we want a, a sexy looking car, you know, especially when we head into midlife where we're very, you know, we start breaking down and we're like, oh, the skin and we want high energy, right? We want a fast car. We want a car that can accelerate hard. Like all these things are, are byproducts of a good engine and chassis and, and, and all the, the basics. And so if you want to have great hair, skin, nails, if you want to have the great energy, 
I would really encourage you to focus in on the gut and what's happening there because it's the building blocks that set up the conditions for that stuff well beyond just whatever awesome you know potions and other things we can do for for our skin that, that do help as well. I would say like step one is make sure that you're eating a you know a whole foods diet, probably grain free. You know, you can try an elimination diet. If you've already started those things, then I would try the HCL challenge. You can Google that. There's lots and lots of blog posts out there. It's a very standard challenge. You go to the store, you buy some betaine HCL, you buy it off somebody's website, and you check to see if you have low stomach acid. If you do, it's you know, you're messing up the conveyor process because actually the right pH balance helps activate your enzymes without the right pH in your small intestine, your enzymes don't get turned on. And so, or they are barely functioning, maybe functioning at like 50% efficacy. So handle your stomach acid and then move on to your enzymes. And then in your enzymes, I would look for a product that has pancreatic enzymes and brush border enzymes. Because while we can get some clues about your pancreatic enzyme function by stool testing, I'm unaware of any brush border enzyme tests at the moment. So brush border enzymes are basically what happens in the small intestine. They're like the last phase of breaking things down. And if you have any sort of inflammation, if your GI tract's moving too fast, your brush border release and activation is likely compromised. And so I would try to find a product that has a high amount of pancreatic enzymes and brush border enzymes. And then here's the key. With HCL, you will know in a week whether it's right for you. You do the challenge, it either works or it doesn't work, you move on. With enzymes, buy a really good product. I mean, obviously I make some products, so I'm very, I believe in my stuff, but Thorn makes great stuff. Um, Digest Gold makes great stuff. There's a lot of, just get a, get a practitioner grade brand, pure uh, encapsulations. But here's the key. Enzymes are being, number one, you mentioned, they decrease as we age, just like our ovaries are shutting down. In midlife, we're, we're very focused on our ovaries shutting down, our testes shutting down. But as you already mentioned, our pancreatic enzymes are basically shutting down. And so I look at enzymes as anti-aging. So I would hope that potentially, if you see the benefit, that you'll keep doing them because they are going down as you age. And so the next thing is dosing. And Unfortunately, I've had to deal with quite a bit of cancer over the last few years in my family. And what I learned is that in certain areas of cancer, there's lineages of cancer who use like 160 systemic enzyme capsules per day. Like that's more than most enzyme bottles have in the bottle. And people are taking like one or two of these bottles per day without food. And so we, we have this idea that we, we look at the back of the bottle, it says two capsules, it says one capsule per meal. I've found that that is absolutely incorrect. We have the ability to dose way higher safely, both in clinical research as well as actual research. I mean, clinical practice and also the research studies show that that's, that's not an issue. There's not been a case that I can find of a theory even on how taking extra enzymes shuts down our internal production as well. There doesn't appear to be a feedback mechanism to turn off internal production, so it's not one of these things where we're like, well, if I take too many, I'll get hooked on them. I don't believe that and I don't see that anywhere. And so my point is, whatever brand you go with, your body, your life situation, your food situation are different. And so keep dialing up the dose. Go from two pills to four pills to six pills. Even go to eight pills or so with each meal 
mm-hmm. until you find until you find a balance because there's a real issue in the supplement industry around enzyme production and the activity units that really doesn't tell the whole story about whether that enzyme is going to work very well and so we can go into that whole science i've done other podcasts on that we don't need to go into it now the way to just get results is just to take more or try a different brand and then escalate up your dose Awesome. So I think some people are wondering right now, well, what does he mean brush border enzyme? So can you talk a little bit about how you developed your enzyme product and what's the difference with these brush border enzymes? What can you help them understand that? Yeah. So our, our pancreatic enzymes are the common ones we hear about. Proteases, which are protein digesting enzymes, lipases, fat digesting, amylases are, are big carbohydrate digesters are sort of like the big guns. But we have a lot of specialty enzymes. Everyone's familiar with one called lactase and lactose intolerance. And so lactase is a brush border enzyme that the little hairs or villi in your small intestine release. And you know, as we age, some people re- lose their ability to produce lactase. Is that actually pre-programmed or is that a GI issue that happens from all this inflammation? That's a different show probably, but that's like a very easy one. There's also things like inverse taste, which is it breaks down sucrose, which is a common sugar found just in, in fruits even. Like, you know, if you're, you're eating some fruits and you're, you're struggling with it, you need to break them down into fructose and glucose, glucose to actually absorb it. And so there's all these little enzymes that get released that break up the last bond of various carbohydrates that are very important. Alpha-galactitase is very important for legumes. It's like a lot of people are familiar with Bino for gas. Bino is just super high dose alpha galactidase with a bunch of fillers. And so I don't recommend that product and just get a get an enzyme with alpha galactidase and take enough. But that alpha galactidase enzyme actually is also really important for broccoli. So a lot of people get not a lot of people, but some people struggle with broccoli farts and like cruciferous vegetables, which we know are super important for like preventing cancer and helping with the brain and just like super, super molecules, right? So these brush water enzymes are released in conjunction with food. I also believe they're they're triggered like you were talking about with your foreplay with the food, which I've never heard before. And I absolutely love that idea. <laughs> but they come after the pancreatic enzymes, which are at the top of the small intestine. And these brush water enzymes are, are released lower down in the intestines, sort of finish the digestion, allow the absorption. And so I think Pure makes a great one. You know, we have one, our, our brand, uh, Healthy Gut. And then Digest Gold also has a mixture of both pancreatic and brush border enzymes in there. Awesome. Thank you so much for explaining that. This is great information. I think it's so important for people to hear humans who went on their own healing journey because that's really what it takes nowadays. You've got to become your own proponent, your own CEO of your health. I love the quote you shared with me before we started recording, focus on increased capacity, not reduced challenges. I think it really applies here. Can you help everyone understand what that means? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a quote around resiliency, right? We don't necessarily want to have like a diet and have all your supplements. And like if you deviate one day due to the 4th of July or Christmas or Thanksgiving, or it's a stressful day with your kids or your spouse, and then your health just goes goes down. Like we don't, that's not, that's not true health. In my opinion, it's, it's kind of a box that we put ourselves in to control it. And I've been there. And so what I'm really focused on both professionally in my relationship with my wife, with my health is I don't want to be a thimble 
where one drop of water in that thimble overflows everything and it's like a catastrophic tsunami. I want to be more of the ocean where the rain can hit me and I feel it, but I don't really feel it. And so I'm really focused on things like meditation, also, you know, these sort of first principles, what can I do to create the right conditions for my gut to work long time versus always trying to modify the exact foods I eat or always trying to kill things. Like what do I, what can I do to increase my capacity to deal with the, the really crazy, interesting world we have today? I love that. So important today more than ever. And it relates to so many things, stress, being able to absorb the stress, the toxicity that we encounter in our everyday life. We want to be like the ocean, not like a thimble so that a drop of rain doesn't drown us. Like if we were in a thimble, but we're like the ocean, we just absorb it and it makes us bigger and better. Thank you so much, Stephen, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and your passion. Everybody can go to his website, healthygut.com to found, find out more information. And if you're interested, you can purchase his uh, enzymes there. And actually, he's going to give you a code to get a discount if you would like. And we will have that in the show notes. Any last thoughts you'd like to leave everyone with? I super appreciate you. And I, and I super appreciate the way that you also shared about the foreplay. I think that's, again, I like to look at what is history taught us and what are the commonalities. And so you can go throughout history and people say, say a prayer, say grace, take a deep breath. I like foreplay even better now. But if you can work on these little tips and tricks that you're learning from podcasts like these, you can make you know tremendous gains in your health. And so I just want to keep spreading that message of hope and just never quitting. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stephen, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and send it to someone who would benefit from it. If you love the show and really want to support it, please go to iTunes, write a review and subscribe. This helps other women find us so that they too can heal and enjoy brilliant health. I've got a gift for you. If you take a screenshot of your review, post it on your social media and tag me, I'll send you a special surprise right to your inbox. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember, healing and getting optimally healthy isn't magic, it's science.